Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Frugal Goddess Show. The Frugal Goddess is all about frugal abundance, which is a principle that comes from looking at the earth, which is the most frugal thing in the world. It recycles everything, and yet at the same time, it's also the most abundant thing. Just try putting a few seeds in the ground and you'll see exactly what I mean. The mission of the Frugal Goddess is to assist with the understanding and prudent use of your available resources in service to your values. In other words, to make the best of what you actually have. My guest tonight is a woman named Gail Anderson. I've known her for a long time, and I've watched as she went through some really hard times when the, when the recession hit a few years ago. Her husband, Mike, was one of the few, first people to lose their job in the recession. And Gail had a, a business a number of years ago, a, a cookware business, but it went out of business because of um, super heavy competition from a store that had a lot more money across the street and was selling the same thing. So they were really scrambling to get back on their feet for quite a while. And as I've watched, they've been able to really put the principles of frugality to work better than almost anyone I know. So, um, Gail... Uh, how about if I ask you a couple of questions about surviving frugally? Good, a- good evening, Annabelle. How are you? Very good. So, I'm wondering, what are some of the ways that frugality has helped you to actually survive the hard times? I know a lot of Americans went through hard times, and some did better than others. So, And I noticed that you actually have managed to pull out and you know get into the recovery. And I'm wondering what, what little frugal habits have helped you to get there? Well, I think part of it in my case is just this, you know, having a terrible case of cockeyed optimism my entire life. So I think your mindset kind of has a little something to do with how successful you are when anything challenges your life. But how how frugality helped us survive, it it, it it empowered me in a way that when you realize just how little you can live on and still maintain some quality of life, it impacts your self-preservation mechanisms, I think, and gives you, uh, you know, a feeling of confidence in the skill you have to take care of yourself. Uh, we've all been conditioned, I believe, to consume and consume. We are constantly bombarded with advertisements, and many people just develop a lifestyle online with that conditioning. Um, we get accustomed to living in that way, and maybe some feel they can't do less, um, or they cannot do with less, I should say. Um, our, my parents' generation went through the Great Depression and learned to live this way by force, and I think that many of these skills went by the wayside after the recovery, which was a war. <laughs> unfortunately, and money and growth became plentiful again, so folks stopped practicing the frugal arts. But when you find yourself in a situation where you have to make do on less and you can let your resourcefulness kick in and figure out how to do it, we are all equipped with this skill. I think it comes from a primitive hunter-gatherer component of our makeup. Uh, As far as Michael and I are concerned, we grew our own garden and traded with our neighbors and farmers market vendors for variety. Uh, we have a flock of chickens for eggs and meat. We have a few sheep we breed for meat and wool. I was just going to ask you about the chickens. The chickens. Oh. Oh, so yeah. our, 
how did you get into chickens and are they expensive to keep to begin with? Well, the initial investment is a bit uh, pricey if you buy uh, already producing birds. That can be rather expensive. But if you can somehow find younger birds or even chicks and just raise them yourself, it takes about six months for a hen to get to the point where she's actually laying eggs for you. Um, but we that was how we did it. We bought chicks to begin with because we couldn't afford the $25 a piece or $15 a piece for a hen. Um, chickens take a, a, a bit of a time commitment to feed and care for, but they will eat virtually anything. Uh, snails from the garden, leftovers, they love greens, so we let them scratch around the garden in the off months when they can't damage any of your plants. Sometimes local schools will give you the prepared food that they would ordinarily throw out of their cafeterias. You can feed it to your chickens. Uh, if you live in an urban area, you can enlist your neighbors to save food for them. Maybe give them some fresh eggs once in a while as a reward. So what is the benefit of keeping Pardon? of keeping the chickens? I mean, what do you get back once you've expended all that money to get them set up and everything? You get eggs and you get meat. So there is a net gain then for somebody who's really on the edge and is able to keep them because they're in an urban area that allows it or out in the country like you are. Well, speaking of food, uh, you said you, you have a garden, so are you actually eating quite a bit from the garden? Yes. Um, and last year, a friend gave us a bunch of old windows, so we constructed a little greenhouse and attached it to the side of the garage. Um, a neighbor gave us a used kerosene heater for those frosty nights. And we can eat fresh greens all winter, and then also use the greenhouse for early starting of, of vegetable uh, starts. We, we primarily uh, stick to things that are nutrient-dense, like winter squash. We do like some summer squash, but uh, we grow a lot of pumpkins and winter squash like butternut, ones that store well and ones that are real versatile in, in terms of eating in the wintertime and they're real nutrient-dense. And that's the thing we kind of, uh, you know, spend our water and our, and our land on. Aha. Uh -huh. And I'm wondering, like, when you have to shop for food, how do you keep the cost down? I mean, there's some things that you can't grow, and you your protein, okay, you have chicken for meat and chicken for eggs, but eventually you're going to need some more protein. So do you shop at the supermarket, or do you have another routine? Well, we, we mostly we start at the restaurants, like a restaurant supply, if you can find one uh, for bulk bags of onions and carrots and potatoes and celery. 
if you buy a large bag of onions, for example, you can chop them and put them in a container in your freezer in little portions for when you need onions for a dish. Uh, if you're worried about not going through all those onions before they start to sprout or go bad. So you can do things like that. Spinach and other others of the pesticide dirty dozen, we call it, we try to avoid. But if it's easy to scrub, we will eat it. Um, but by doing this, we free up money for the organic things we want to buy. And then other places we go um, and we find, a, uh, you know, various supermarkets will have certain meats on sale, avocados, walnuts, things that are calorie-rich, nutrient-dense, kind of pricey, but you don't have to eat so much either. And, uh, and that seems to work out pretty well for us. And we have a nice, well-balanced diet. Apples, I can't say enough great things about apples. When you're not eating them fresh, they're pretty... They're pretty affordable. Um, you can do so many things with them, make dessert out of them, eat them fresh, put them in a salad. There's so many things you can do with the apple. So if there's any one fruit, uh, apples are so uh, frugal. They're part of the, yeah, I think they come right out of the frugal goddess garden. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have just written a book about keeping food costs down, and I talk a lot about the freezer. So do you have a freezer, and if so, what is it filled with? Well, our freezer is filled with a lot of interesting things. We have one little peach tree in our yard, so last year um, I just took all the peaches off the tree, split the skins off of them, cut them up, put them in a Ziploc bag, put them in the freezer. I can make pies out of them. We can make smoothies out of them, whatever you want to do. And uh, so we have some fruit. We pick the wild blackberries in the neighborhood, and we put them in. In fact, I discovered that a quart plastic quart uh, yogurt container will hold just enough blackberries for a, for a pie, for a 10-inch pie. <laughs> and, uh, and so we, we have our fruits that we gather, vegetables, of course, um, like, the, like I spoke about the um, onions. I also cut herbs in my garden, like chives and, and parsley and herbs like that. Chop them and put them in a small Ziploc sandwich bag, and then you have them to use fresh during the year. Um, whenever we, uh, sometimes we'll, we'll trade vegetables for a, a local, we have a lot of wild pig in the area and a lot of hunters that get them and they get tired of them. So they'll drop off, there's a few guys here in the neighborhood that will drop off a little meat for us and we give them veggies or some homemade applesauce we made or something in, uh, in, in return. Uh, but generally we go where the sales are and we will buy fish and chicken and put it in the freezer if chickens are on sale, buy four or five of them if you can afford it and throw them in the freezer. Um, and that's pretty much what our freezer is filled with. It, uh, it doesn't have any ice cream in it, oh, no. <laughs> unfortunately. So getting away from food, because I think we've, you're making me hungry here. Uh, <laughs> I, I was wondering, I know you live pretty far out in the country and it's car dependent. There's no way that you could live without some kind of vehicle. So... And yet, when you've been hit with the kind of losses that happened in this recession, it's difficult to even keep going. So I'm wondering how you have handled just keeping on the road through this difficult time. Well, Michael and I have uh, just one car between the two of us, and we cherish that vehicle like it was the most delicate, important thing in our lives, because it kind of is. And like you said, we're a long way from town. Um, but if you can afford to do anything, always keep your tires inflated to the proper pressure. Always change the oil as recommended for the car. Um, uh, 
my little car, we change the oil every 3,000 miles or three months. Uh, fortunately, Michael and my son are both mechanics and keep our 27-year-old car running. But if you can just keep your vehicle going, you can um, always figure out ways to, you know, if, when one person or the other needs the car for something. It, it takes a bit of scheduling, but you can manage it. Uh, you plan your trips to town and make sure you do uh, more than one thing when you go to avoid putting unnecessary miles on it. And just, you know, that's, that, that's how we've handled it. And what else do you repair instead of replace? I mean, the car is an obvious one because replacing something of that magnitude would be pretty hard with a shaky income. And But are, do you repair everything, or are there things that you always buy new? Um, well, since I'm blessed to have a mechanical man in my house, um, but anyone that has some talent with their hands and can read get a repair manual for most appliances and when it doesn't work what do you have to lose you can tinker with it and try to fix it uh, right now he's fixing my almost 30 year old Cuisinart food processor with that has a broken switch uh, sometimes you have to get creative to find parts like go to places on, on the web like eBay and Craigslist if you have an older appliance but it can be done and um, I don't know there's a special satisfaction repairing a piece of equipment for yourself instead of having to go out and buy one I was um, recently this is why we decided to try to fix the Cuisinart was I looked at one that was comparable to the one I bought back in speaking of fun because halloween is obviously fun what about entertainment i mean i know when i went through a difficult time because of this recession i shut it down quite a bit and didn't get out much so to speak and i'm wondering what have you found the same thing and if so i mean we all need to have something fun in our lives or you go crazy so how do you handle that 
we have some pretty fun, fun times. Um, the community that I live in is uh, people are few, few, they're kind of spread out. Most of us are living on a 40-acre parcel or more. A lot of people are off the grid. Um, and we're, since we're an hour's drive from a major metropolitan area, going out to dinner, it's kind of an all-day event. So most of us have get-togethers with our neighbors. Um, like what we affectionately call Hillbilly Netflix, we take turns hosting a, a potluck dinner and everyone brings DVDs for exchanging, so we're always with fresh movies to watch. Um, up here, the internet and TV services are expensive and not terrifically reliable, so this is a great way for us to be entertained for weeks without a large outlay of cash. And I also took up reading again and visiting the local library when I go to town. So we do manage, and of course, when you live in an area where there's wonderful nature everywhere, uh, it sort of becomes your entertainment. And we have a few pets that keep us chuckling most of the time as well. How about the chickens? Are they funny? <laughs> yes, they are. We have a rooster named Elvis, because he does this little dance, and we just crack up every time he does it. Um, and they're just, they're, they be, any animal becomes dear to you. I mean, anyone that's had any animals, it doesn't matter whether they're a farm animal or dog, cat, you know, they just, you can become very, um, very attached to them. And they're just fun to watch. We loved letting the chickens out on sunny days, um, particularly in the wintertime when they can run around and, and the rooster will find something and he'll call one of the hens over and sort of present it to her like a little worm or something. And it's just watch them interact. So that's, that also enters into to our entertainment. But, you know, in the old days, I remember uh, my grandparents and, and my parents talking about, you know, they, the neighbors would come over, they'd play cards. Of course, I'm sure they had a little something, uh, some libation to go along with that. But, uh, you know, they all had fun. They, they enjoyed uh, hanging out with each other. And, and they, you just make your own entertainment. So, as far as animals go... Uh you have to feed the dogs, of course. So how do you feed the animals when you're also struggling sometimes to feed yourself? Well, um, we, 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 we made our own dog food for a while because cheap dog food was, was just not going to do it for us. I mean, we were, we were willing to eat less so that our dogs could have healthy dog food. Um, we found that the cost is kind of similar. If you if you uh, find a commercial dog food that is healthy for them, it costs about what what making it does. We would go to the restaurant supply and get these great big chubs of five pounds of turkey, uh, ground turkey, and things like that. We could make our our um, dogs food out of you know to keep the protein up enough for them. Um, but it ended up costing about as much as a really good good commercial uh, dog food. So we kind of. It depends on what kind of mood we're in or how much time we have. Sometimes we make some for them. And when we make it, we put it in Ziploc bags in the, in the freezer. And every day we just take a fresh Ziploc bag out. So by the end of the day, there's a, enough food for the dog. And it's all portioned out for each dog. And you just throw it in the bowl. And it's a pretty convenient thing. It takes a little bit to set up. But um, I, I do make my own cat food uh, out of ground the chicken and turkey and ch tur chicken livers and things like that put a little kitty vitamins in there and he just thinks he's died and gone to heaven. And that is a lot more a lot more affordable doing it that way than buying canned cat food, more so than dog for some reason. Well I remember there were some real problems with commercial cat and dog food because yeah. of the 
bad stuff from some Chinese imports that had mel melamine or something in it a few years ago. So what that did was it uh, it was a it was an artificial ingredient they could put in there that would chemically um, when when the people came by to, t to do their tests on the dog food you know, they always tested for protein content because you'll read the label on the bag and you want your dog food to be in the 30s you know 30 percent protein at least and when they came along and uh, tested it apparently this melamine would. Uh, would spike the protein, but they really didn't have, you know, the protein test. So, but they really didn't have to put that much protein in there. So it saved them money, and it ended up killing a lot of dogs. It wasn't good for their kidneys, and it, it, it really was a terrible thing, and I'm glad they stopped. So it, it really works out better to make it for yourself anyhow for a whole bunch of different reasons. You're actually getting a better quality food and protecting your dog at the same time for less yeah. money. Since you're just standing there anyhow. gets a little cold and rainy up your way and I'm wondering about energy costs. How do you heat your house, for instance? Well, we heat with wood. The house came equipped with a nice efficient wood stove and um, so that's what we use. We use wood. But wood's a little expensive, huh? Uh, no, because uh, we live in, on over 100 acres um, consisting of a lot of tan oak trees that have been inspected by that uh, sudden oak death pathogen. So there are many dead trees on our forest that need cleaning out, so we just convert them to firewood. Uh, it's a lot of work and time consuming, but the propane gas costs here are pretty high, and the house, since the house is equipped with a nice wood stove, we just didn't see any reason of adding another 40 or $50 a month just to heat the house, because that, at the minimum, that's what it would cost. I could see that, and it's really kind of surprising that even with all the high energy costs for most people, a person who's what would be considered maybe on the edge by a mainstream individual would actually be able to get a better deal because you can cut it yourself. And there aren't very many people who actually can do that. So that actually shows maybe living in the far country is better when you're having a um, you know, tough financial situation than being in a big city because there's more resources. Yeah, it, it sure worked for us. And, uh, uh, of course, you know, we, we already had some of these skills and knowledge of kind of being country folk, but it, it uh, I do think that there's, I mean, gosh, <laughs> just going out this afternoon and finding some wild mushrooms um, growing, and I thought, oh, great, I could come in and make some soup out of that, and we can have that for dinner. And it was just like this free gift from nature. So when you live in town, but there's still ways that you can... 
take fruit off a neighbor's tree, you know, and and, uh, and share with whatever you create out of it. I mean, every so many places, even in town, have um, fruit trees and berry trees, berry bushes that uh, that the people don't use the fruit. And there's just so much you can do, uh, even in town. Uh, but I, I do think the country did kind of, it, it, it worked for us. And I know that a lot of people who got hit by the Great Recession found ingenious ways to bring in cash. I mean, just because you can't get a job doesn't mean you can't make money. So I'm wondering if you and Mike have had little experiences with micro-entrepreneurship, as it's called these days. Like, just how you've brought in some extra cash besides whatever formal jobs have become available. So basically, it's like the old farm lady's egg money then. I remember stories about back in my mom's day of egg yeah. money. They, The housewife would make a little money on the side for herself because it's nice to have something that belongs to you. And uh, yep. it came from chickens. Yeah, she'd, she'd do eggs or she'd darn some bachelor's socks in the neighborhood or she'd do something to make a little extra money she could hide in the cookie jar. Yeah. <laughs> How about uh, selling at farmer's markets? Baked goods and the likes 
to be sold at the farmer's market so you don't have to produce it in a commercial kitchen. Cottage loss. Pardon me? There, that's the cottage, the home so cottage exactly loss. The cottage, cottage industry law, yeah. And uh, so I will make uh, apple turnovers and bring them by the day. And they always sell out. They always sell out. Chocolate chip cookies, apple turnovers, the old-fashioned snickerdoodle cookies, the cinnamon sugar ones. They're so simple to make. And uh, if you can find a place like a restaurant supply that has uh, affordable butter, because that's your main expense with those. Um, but baked goods uh, customarily are a pretty good money maker. You don't, you don't, you get more out of them than you put into them. In other words, lots more out of them. You get a pretty good margin on them. So, um, and, and you sell those. And it's really remarkable how much money you can make doing this. You'll come home and count your bot what's in your box at the end of the day, and you think, wow. And when you look at how much you made at the end of the month. And do your do your bookkeeping. You realize that I could have I, I could have been working for someone doing this and making ten or whatever dollars an hour out here in California. That's nothing. Um, and or you can you know you make it yourself, but it, it comes in such small increments that it doesn't impact you until you actually add it all up at the end of the day. And you realize you can actually do pretty well with these things with the farmers market. So it actually is a good strategy for taking the place of a standard job because what happened for a lot of people over 50 when all of this started, it was just impossible, and yet you have to live. So it sounds like a good way to make it yourself just the way folks did before, you know, when most people lived down on the farm. And, and, it's, and a lot of people don't want to do it, so they're grateful your little booth at the at the uh, farmer's market every weekend and see, oh, let's pick up some apple tarts from the lady and let's go get this and that other person that has that great salsa. And there's so many things that you can do. This is why I think they're finally gaining in popularity. People are realizing that you don't have to put up a big bunch of money. You know, you buy a little pop-up thing to shade you and you get a couple of tables and, you know, it's pretty much all you need and you're in business. Because I know where you live, you're in a pass-through to get to one of the most beautiful beaches in the world, So, in Sonoma County. So it's there are a lot of tourists that just come through, and they're happy to buy a little something on the way out. And I, I was kind of wondering about the community that you live in. You've mentioned a few times uh, interacting with people in terms of dinner parties and that people helped you to build a greenhouse. And I'm wondering, what is the community? What What's it like?
kind of a back to the land movement here in the 70s and many of the parcels sold here during that time uh, the people still own and live on a lot of my neighbors live off the grid but we're a very active bunch with fundraisers for our our local fire department uh, in these remote places we quite often get overlooked or underfunded for services um, so our volunteer fire department is very precious to us uh, and there's also kind of a community code here that says when someone is in need, we gather together to see what we can do to help. And uh, if someone is sick, their family needs help, um, there's always someone that will, I mean, it, it's just great for helping each other. Um, and then, you know, the parties are, are fun too. You know, we have these fundraisers and, and, uh, and get-togethers. And, uh, and that's pretty much it. It's a quiet sort of lifestyle. But it, uh, it does have its moments. <laughs> uh, so uh, has living in that situation, I mean, it took a while to get settled there. And I'm wondering if living in a tight community, I know that Casadero used to be a logging community and now it's something very different. And has that helped you to overcome the lingering effects of going through the recession and being kind of the first wave of people who ended up maybe in not the circumstances that they hoped to be yeah. in? Um, well, when we moved, uh, part of our decision to do so was uh, driven by the fact that <clears throat> it's so beautiful here. I mean, the redwood trees are magnificent. The land is magnificent. We just loved it. Uh, and we love nature. And we were so exhausted from beating our heads against the wall with employment that was totally unsuitable for two older folks and long stretches of unemployment, we found ourselves pretty whipped by the process and uh, needed a quiet place to be for a while so we could regroup and heal from the beating we took physically and emotionally. Um, the other part was the rents here were so low, uh, so we could survive barely on what we already had coming in uh, income-wise, and the peace and quiet gave us the opportunity to develop and implement ideas to increase our income and have a decent life. I know often it's tough when uh, when you live in a neighborhood and you're one of a few that, uh, that are struggling while everyone else uh, still has their jobs or sailing along. Um, you know, just having to decline an invite to lunch because you know you don't have the money is incredibly stressful. And some people can't leave. They're desperately trying to hang on to their home. And um, But I think it, it's really, the only message I could probably give to people out there is just that, to put, you know, it, it, once you get over the shock of your situation, you will find it inside yourself to figure out what to do. Because um, uh, here we are, three years later, getting ready to open up a gift shop in a popular tourist town near here. So even when our friends and family thought we were crazy to live up here in the boonies, it actually turned out very well for us. And when you say off-grid, you mean completely off-grid. Like, describe, I know there's a big land trust right next door to you, and so it's literally all solar. There is, and um, there's a winery up here that is, um, it was the first bonded winery up here on the north coast, and... Uh, they have created uh, and made award-winning wines for almost 40 years. They are completely solar, and they're, they live on spring water. 
rely on solar power only to run their whole winery. So it can be done, and uh, the equipment is not obnoxiously huge to where it you know blocks out the landscape. Uh, quite a few folks up here live off the grid. Um, it's too expensive for uh, you know to have the power company run power to your property. So um, you know it's either go without or get yourself some solar or wind. Or some people uh, have um, hydroelectric power here as well. That they um, one fellow we know has a, a spring that he discovered up on the hills behind his his house. So he put a a big uh, 2,000 gallon poly tank up there, water tank, collects the water from the spring, runs it down through a small hose, and it condenses the water in in, in a in a way that creates a lot of pressure, and it runs a Pelton wheel, and a Pelton wheel is a small generator, and through the force of the water, it turns that wheel so quickly that it generates electricity for them, and then they store it in batteries. So when you walk into their home, you wouldn't know that they had an alternate energy source. Their house has computers and TVs and everything else that everybody else has, and you wouldn't even know that it was run that way. So he's got solar and water for um, for power. So it's quite remarkable how you know some people can really make a go, have beautiful homes, have a what we would consider a normal lifestyle, uh, living completely off the power grid and the water, and, and you know they have their own water and sewer facilities on their property. Who actually kind of runs the community politically? I mean, I know it's a little bit away from town, and town is a little tiny dot on the map. It's not a real municipality even. So is there like a political structure? Is it a direct democracy? I think it's kind of more like a direct democracy because um, the only real political structure here is uh, there are three large ranches that are subdivisions. They were old sheep ranches that had two to 3,000 acres. And some years ago, 40, 50 years ago, they were subdivided into 40-acre parcels. And people started buying these parcels. There's three of them up here. So all three of these ranches compile a good portion of the population that are our neighbors and part of our community. Um, and those are run by property owners associations. So they collect um, uh, property owners' dues from all of the parcel owners. They maintain the roads. It's all by volunteer. The board of directors that runs the Property Owners Association uh, is an all-volunteer thing. Um, and people, you know, a person will be the president for one or two years, and then they'll step down and let someone else do it. And uh, it, it's quite, it's quite an interesting. You know, I've been here three years. I have not heard any. Um, you know, there hasn't been any kind of conflicts. Uh, it's, it, it, it's remarkable how everyone just seems to kind of get along. Very good. <laughs> so do you have any last tips for frugal living for people that are just struggling and they need to cut their bills one way or another? Well, I guess for frugal living, it's just don't give up. If one idea doesn't pan out, try another. Um, you'd be surprised how much you can actually live without and still have a, a new... Uh, a renewed um, 
even even if, if Michael and I are restored financially um, to the point we were some years ago, um, I don't think I'll, I'll still want one cable TV in my house. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been without it for so long because I, I couldn't afford it. Uh, that I, uh, I, I've turned to books and uh, radio programs and, you know, I do things on the Internet and, you know, that's one thing I do allow myself to have. But um, You've lost your taste for consumerism. I've lo- totally lost my taste for it because it's just so much fun to interact with your neighbors and make and kind of make everybody's life. Everybody up here is kind of in the same boat. Some people are more well off than others, but uh, and I think you will find that even in urban settings and neighborhoods, um, you know, there's always going to be people that are better off. But that's what a community is all about. It's not about people that are all at the same income level living behind this little locked gate. It's, it's, it's an amalgamation of people, and uh, if you don't allow yourself, um, you, you get involved with your community or just your neighborhood. Keep picking up and looking under every rock. Sometimes you can partner up with other people to live frugally and still maintain a satisfactory lifestyle. Uh, it can be fun, finding yet another way to enjoy chicken <laughs> you never tried before. <laughs> or uh, converting your family to having, you know, vegetarian dinners once or twice a week. Um, you know, learning to sew, like we were talking about, saving money that way to create things to wear uh, and get everyone involved. Um, so many have an attitude that living frugally is somehow tied to an embarrassing situation. I think uh, we owe it to our children to show them these skills and uh, to show them the value of a dollar. That's the whole point of the frugal goddess, is that it's not about being cheap, it's about making the very best of what you have, which means living your values. You have to know what your values are, and there are a lot of people that have thought this through and have plenty of money, but they still want to be frugal because you live lightly on the earth, and it seems like it took a lot of uh, you know, disruption in the economy of this country for more people to come to this. I call, I call people that had to do this forcibly frugal. But one day you wake up and you realize that you're actually better off than you were before it happened on an emotional and spiritual level, not because suddenly you have more money in your pocket, but you find out there's something even beyond that and deeper. And I do want to mention while we're still here that uh, Gail and Mike have gotten the uh, go-ahead to start a candy store in the little town of Duncan's Mills. It's going to be called Toys and Treats, and it'll be open by late spring. So if you are passing through Duncan's Mills on your way to the beautiful Sonoma Coast, please do stop by and have a buy a little bit of candy and sit on the front porch and, and check out the little town of Duncan's Mills because it really is worth it. And I've really enjoyed... Talking to you about all of this, and uh, I'm, you know, thanks for coming on. Well, thank you very much for having me. You have a good evening. You too. So, this is Annabelle Asher on the Frugal Goddess Show, and I'd like to uh, say, come on back next week and catch us again. Thanks. Bye bye. <laughs>